Amen. All right, well, we're there in Luke chapter number 5, and of course, on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights, we've been on a journey with Jesus, and that's the title of the series we've been going through, Journey with Jesus, and it really is a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Luke, and we're studying the life of Christ and the ministry of Christ, and uh, we come to this passage of Scripture in Luke chapter number 5. And uh, to, just to be honest with you, th- this passage that we're going to look at this morning, verses 1 through 11, is, is one of my favorite stories in the entire Bible. I'm no, I don't know why, um, it just is. And whenever I read it, I'm motivated by it. I've preached out of this uh, several times over the years just because I love this story so much. And every time I preach through it, uh, I end up writing a new outline for it. Obviously, the, the story is the same every time you preach through it, um, but I always think, oh, I've already preached that. I could preach, find you know, my old outline or whatever, but I, I'm never satisfied with that, and I end up writing a brand new outline uh, for this story. It's interesting to me that you can preach through the same passage several times and write several different outlines, and it just shows you that this book was not written by man. It uh, really is the Word of God. But I love this story because what we find in verses 1 through 11 is the calling of Peter and James and John. They're already followers of Jesus to an extent, but now they're going to be called to full-time ministry, and they're going to be called into the ministry, and specifically into the ministry of soul wedding. And what we're going to look at this morning, as we go through this passage, we're going to see a fishing story. It's, a, it's one of those stories that fishermen would tell about some big catch that they had. But I want you to know that the purpose of this event, the purpose of the story, and the application is not about fishing fish, it's about catching men. In fact, if you look down at verse number 10, just to show you the context, in verse number 10, we're going to walk through the entire passage from verses 1 through 11 this morning, but if you look at verse 10, it says, and so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, fear not, notice what he says, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And that was Jesus' purpose for orchestrating the story, putting these events into play was that Peter and James and John might from henceforth catch men. So I want to give you this story and I'd encourage you, I'm going to give you several uh, points in regards to this. And on the back of your course of the week, there's a place for you to write down some notes. And I would encourage you to outline uh, the, to write this outline because you might be able to teach it or preach it to somebody someday and uh, praise the Lord for that. So I want you to notice here in verse 1, the Bible says this, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake Gennesaret. And the lake Gennesaret there is a different name for the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee has different names that it goes by. The Bible says there in verse 2, And saw two ships, this is referring to Jesus, of course. Jesus saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. I want you to notice that it is morning time and Jesus is there, the Bible says in verse 1, the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God. And uh, we'll talk about that statement later on in the sermon, but uh, I want you to notice that there's people gathered there and they're gathered for him to be able to preach the word of God. And as he's there, he saw... The Bible says two ships, the fishermen were gone out and were washing their nets. Now, the reason that the fishermen had gone out and were washing their nets is because of the fact that they had been working all night. In fact, if you look at verse 5, it says, And Simon answered and uh, said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night. So notice these fishermen are toiling all the night. They are had been working all night long. They understood that there at the Sea of Galilee, the best time to fish would be at nighttime. It would be when the fish would be out and when they would be active. They've been working all night. They're tired. They're finishing up the day. We would call this working graveyard. They've worked all night. It's morning time. People are getting up and gathering and, and Jesus getting ready to hold a service, but they're getting ready to finish their day. In fact, they're washing their nets, getting ready to go home so that they can go home, get some rest, Notice verse 3, and he, referring to Jesus, entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's. And of course, Simon there is a different name for Peter. This is the Apostle Peter, or the man that would become the Apostle Peter. 
And I want you to notice, and here's point number one if you're taking notes, I want you to notice the inconvenience of Peter. Notice that Jesus inconveniences Peter. He entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would, notice, thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now I want you to notice the ingenuity of Jesus here, because he's got this group of people, this crowd. The Bible says that they pressed upon him to hear the word of God. And what Jesus does is he's uh, on the seashore of the Sea of Galilee or the Lake Gennesaret, and he's uh, there and the, the, the multitudes have come, and he's using the beach or the shore there like an auditorium in the same way that we've got this auditorium set up where we've got people kind of all around uh, uh, facing towards the center where the preaching is being done. He's using the beach in that area and what he's doing is he's asking Peter if he could use his boat as a platform. He entered into the ship and he asked Peter to thrust out, to push out a little from the land, just push him off the land into the water so that the people could gather and sit around the shore there and he could speak and preach and teach them um, from that boat, using that boat as a platform. It's really the ingenuity of Christ that we see here and his knowledge of science and, and, and understanding because Jesus is using the water as his voice would carry through the water. He's using it as an amplifier to be able to speak to a large crowd of people, a big multitude. Of course, in the ancient time, Jesus did not have technology to use like we have today, uh, microphones and speakers and things of that, uh, 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 things like that. So he's on this ship, thrust out a little into the water, speaking to the crowd on the shore, using the water to carry his voice, to amplify his voice, to be able to speak to these people. But I want you to notice, in this little plan of Jesus, in this little service of Jesus, he's inconveniencing Peter. Because the Bible says there, look again at verse 2, and and saw two ships standing by the lake, by, but the fishermen were gone out of them. So the, 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 the ships are there, the fishermen are not. They're not in their boats. They're outside of the boats, washing their nets, cleaning their nets, getting things ready to be done for the day, and he, notice how Jesus is, and keep in mind, Jesus already has a relationship with uh, Peter, James, and John. He knows this, these men. He entered into one of the ships. He just walks onto the ship, and he prayed him, referring to Peter, that he would thrust out a little from the land. And I'm here to tell you this morning that if you're going to be used of God, you're going to be inconvenienced by God. I don't know if you know this, but you know that Jesus wants to use you. And Jesus wants to use me. And oftentimes, people think and they have this idea and they say, well, Jesus wouldn't need me and Jesus wouldn't want to use me. But you know, Jesus wants to use you even if it's just a little. Even if it's just a small amount. I mean, he's a, he, Peter's not preaching a sermon here. Peter's not uh, uh, conducting uh, the, the music. He's not playing in the orchestra. He's not doing anything. He's, he's just providing a ship. He's just thrusting out a little into the land. He's just giving a little of his time and giving a little of his energy, giving a little bit of his, of his resources, and he's being inconvenienced by Jesus when Jesus says, thrust out a little from the land. And we can learn from this that Jesus wants to use everyone, even if it's just a little. Amen. But I want you to notice that it doesn't end there. When my, 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 my kids are getting older, I've got some young ones still. When my, uh, when my especially my sons, when they were younger, we had this book. I'm sure we still have it somewhere in the house that we would read to them. It, I, I, it, was, a, it was a book I grew up reading a little children's book, and I, I thought it was pretty famous. I think it is a famous book, but sometimes I bring it up to people, and they're like, act like they've never heard of it, but um, it's a little book called If You Give a Mouse a Cookie. Have you ever heard of that book, If You Give a Mouse a Cookie? And the whole, see, like three hands go up. I don't understand why this book's not popular. <laughs> maybe you guys just don't read, but it's a little children's book. I mean, you could read it in like two minutes, so maybe you should start. But the, the whole point of this book, If You Give a Mouse a Cookie, is that, you know, you've got this little obnoxious mouse. And when you give a mouse a cookie, he's going to ask for a glass of milk. And if you give him a glass of milk, he's going to ask for, you know, whatever. And then the, the story goes on. He asks for a napkin. He asks for this and he asks for that. And whenever I read this story from Jesus, it reminds me 
of that little book if you give a mouse a cookie, because if you give Jesus a little bit, he's going to ask for more. And I want you to notice that he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. So notice, he asked Peter, can I use you a little bit? Can, I, can you help me for some time? Can you thrust out a little into the land? And Peter says, of course. And he, they thrust out together, and Jesus sat there, and he taught the people, and he preached a sermon. Notice the last part of verse 3. And taught the people out of the ship. Notice verse 4. Now, when he had left speaking, so his sermon's done now. The service is over. The Bible doesn't document for us here what it is that he said or what he preached. But when he got done preaching, he said unto Simon, notice, he said unto Simon, in verse 3, he said, thrust out a little from the land. In verse 4, he says, launch out into the deep. He said, Peter, will you launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a drought? And Simon answering said unto him, Master, I want you to notice the type of Christian that's being illustrated here by Peter. Because when Jesus shows up, Peter's tired. He's been working all night. He's getting his things ready to go home. Jesus shows up and says, can you thrust out a little into the land? Can I use you a little bit? Could you, could you make yourself available for me a little bit? And like any Christian, like any believer, like any follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, Peter says the same thing that you and I would say. He says, sure thing. I mean, you're my Savior. You're my Lord. You're my Master. You, uh, you, you brought me salvation. You're God in the the flesh. I mean, if you want me to thrust out a little bit, that's no problem. And I think most of us, if Jesus were here today and he would ask you, could you do me a favor? Could you help me for a little bit? Could I use you for a second? We would all say, no problem. And by the way, Jesus is saying that today. Amen. And praise God, most of you are saying, no problem. But I want you to notice when you give a mouse a cookie, he might ask you for a glass of milk. And when Jesus asks you to thrust out a little from the land, he may make another request, which is launch out into the deep. Can I use you a little more? Can, can you do something more? See, some of you were faced this January, and we asked you this question. We said, would you read the New Testament in the month of January? Would you thrust out a little from the land? Would you separate yourself for a little time? And would you, could we inconvenience you for a month? And many of you, I believe, Lord willing, we'll see as the numbers come in. Many of you took up that challenge and said, yes, I'll read nine chapters a day. Yes, I'll, I'll get on board with what's going on. Yes, I'll allow you to inconvenience us uh, for, for the month of January. I'll read the Bible and thrust out a little uh, from the land. But I'm here to ask you now, would you, now that you've thrust out a little, now that you've read the New Testament, would you launch out into the deep of reading the Old Testament? February through December and read the Bible cover to cover and do what most Christians have never done in their entire lives and read the Bible cover to cover this year? See, so, some of you, we, if, we, if we have some big day going on or some big thing, some Red Hot preaching conference or some big event, and we say, hey, we're trying to get 200 and some odd uh, uh, people to maybe help us with this or help us with that, you'll show up to that, but can we, uh, and, and I appreciate that, and, and, I, and I thank you that you are willing from time to time to thrust out a little from the land, but maybe you can also launch out into the deep and not only be a soul winner when there's a special event going on, but be a soul winner uh, every week of the year. May, some of you, we've asked you, and, and we're not tricking you. We're, we're saying, hey, it's okay uh, with soul winning. It's okay if you don't know what to say and you're nervous. You just come on, uh, come on down. You don't have to say anything. You can be a silent partner. We'll partner you with somebody that knows what to say, and we won't throw you to the wolves, and we will, we'll make sure we're, we partner you with somebody. They'll take care of you. You don't have to say anything. You can be a silent partner, and all of that is true. We're asking, would you thrust out a little from the land and join us for a little time and be inconvenienced, but let me tell you, once you've done that for a while, the next request is this. Will you launch out into the deep of memorizing the verses and learning how to give the gospel? Amen. Becoming a speaker and becoming a soul winner that can communicate the gospel clearly? I'm just here to tell you that Jesus always begins with thrust out a little from the land. But the answer uh, to that question, if it's yes, the next question will be, will you launch out into the deep? And this is usually where the excuses begin. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled 
The word toiled means to work extremely hard. He says, we have toiled all the night. He says, and have taken nothing. He said, we've been working all night long. And it's not been a good day. We haven't caught anything. We've toiled all night and have taken nothing. You're asking us to do something. And here, here's the thing Peter would say. I was willing to thrust out a little from the land. I was willing to be inconvenienced uh, by you a little bit. I was willing to uh, uh, show up for this one event or do this one thing. But now you're asking for a bigger commitment than I'm willing to make. And here's the question that I have for you. How much are you willing to? to be inconvenienced by the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, if he asked you to thrust out a little into the land, would you say yes? And most of you, I wouldn't imagine, would say yes. But what if he asked you to launch out into the deep? Would you say, well, wait a minute. You don't understand, I'm tired. Wait a minute, you don't understand, I'm busy. Wait, you want me to do what? We've already been, I've already been, I need to go home. I've got things to do. How willing are you to be inconvenienced by your Lord and Savior? You're there in Luke chapter 5. Go with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. I'm here to tell you that as followers of Jesus Christ and servants of the Lord, we should not only be willing to thrust out a little from the land, but we should also be willing to launch out into the deep. And whatever that means, whatever that is, well, I'm willing to throw something into the offering place. The offering place goes by. I'm going to, you know, throw in a, 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 a little gift there. Okay, but God says, are you willing to launch out into the deep of obedience and faith and becoming a faithful tither? Amen. Well, yeah, I don't know about that, God. Are you willing to launch out into the deep? Hey, hey, wherever you start, get started. But are you willing to take the next step? Are you willing to go a little further? Are you willing to go a little, uh, a little past? You say, you know, I show up to church Sunday morning. Great. How about you launch into the deep of three to thrive Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and become a faithful uh, church member to all the services? That's a little too deep for me. Yeah, well, Jesus is asking all of us to launch out into the deep. And the question we've got to wrestle down, the question you've got to wrestle down is how inconvenienced are you willing to be for Jesus? Luke 17 and verse 7, we have a a story, a parable that kind of illustrates this. It says there in verse 7, but which of you, this is Jesus speaking, he says, which of you? Because we have this idea, see, we're, we're American Christians and as American Christians, we've got all these thoughts about our rights and our, uh, you know, what I deserve and, and, and I shouldn't have to do this. I shouldn't have to do that. And if I do do it, you better act like I'm the greatest thing that's ever happened. If I show up to church on a Sunday night, you better cheer and applaud like I'm the greatest thing ever. Because look at all of the sacrifice that I'm willing to do. If I show up for a soul winning event, if I participate in nine chapters a day, Here's what Jesus said, but which of you, having a servant, this is someone that works for you, an employee, plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him, by and by, when he has come from the field, go and sit down to meet, and I and will not rather say unto him, now I want you to notice this, Jesus said, if you have a servant, and and, and he's doing what he's supposed to do, plowing and feeding the cattle. You know, are you going to go up to him and say, hey, I'll go, go and sit down, get some food? Is that what the master's going to say? He says, and will not rather say unto him, wouldn't the master rather say or actually say, make ready? Wherewith I may sup and gird thyself and serve me till I have eaten and drunken, And afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Notice verse 9. Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I love this little phrase. It says, I trow not. <laughs> the word trow means think. Jesus says, I think not. He says, he says, does the master thank the servant because he did the things that were commanded him? Now, please, please don't misunderstand me. You show up for some cleaning event. You show up for some soul winning event. You show up for some service. You show up for some special thing. And, and Pastor Jimenez and Miss Joanne, we're going to say thank you to you. In fact, one of the criticisms that I receive is that I say thank you too much sometimes to people. 
You're always thanking me for this, thanking me for that. And here's the thing, I do thank you because you don't, you don't have to do what you do, and I understand that, but I'm here to tell you, the Bible says I'm thanking you because I'm not your Lord and Master. I'm just thankful you're here uh, to help. But the Bible says that does he thank, referring to the Master, does he thank the servant because he did that, which uh, uh, the things that were commanded him. He says, I think not. So likewise ye, notice the application, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you. Doesn't the Bible command you to tithe? Amen. Doesn't the Bible command you to be a soul winner? Amen. Doesn't the Bible command you to be faithful to church services? Amen. Doesn't the Bible command you? Hey, so, are, so likewise ye, when ye have done all those things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. You say, what does that mean? Here's what it means. When you, when you show up, you, you have a real spiritual week, and you're like, Pastor, let me tell you about my week. And, and look, you tell, me about, you tell me about a week like this, I'm going to rejoice and be glad with you. But you, 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 you say, let me tell you about my week. I show up to church Sunday morning. I show up to church Sunday night. I show up to church Wednesday night. Let me tell you about my week. I, 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 uh, I, I read the Bible every day. Let me tell you about my week. I went, uh, I, I prayed every day. Let me tell you about my week. I, I went soul winning this week. Let me tell you about my week. I got paid and I, and I, and I, and I gave my tithe to the Lord. Let me tell you about my week. You know, I walked in the Spirit this week. Hey, if you have a week like that, praise God for that. I hope you had a week like that. I hope that you uh, have many weeks like that. But let me tell you something. God looks down and says, am I supposed to thank you because you're doing what you're supposed to be doing? He says, when you have a week like that, here's what you should say. I am an unprofitable servant. I haven't done anything above and beyond. I haven't made any extra profit for my master. I have done that which was my duty to do. I've only done that which was expected of me. I haven't gone above and beyond. I'm here to tell you that when Jesus asks you to launch out into the deep, it's your duty Amen. to be available. Amen. Romans 12, 1, you don't have to turn there. The Bible says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Amen. We have done that which was our duty. Go back to Luke chapter 5, if you would. See, we have a wrong understanding of who we are and who God is. Psalm 24 and verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. You know that the earth belongs to God and everyone that dwells on earth belongs to God. Amen. You belong to God. Whether you're saved or not, you belong to God. And if you're saved, you doubly belong to God. So when God shows up and says, Will you launch out into the deep? The only correct answer is yes. And then don't pat yourself on the back because we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. So we see the inconvenience of Peter. But I want you to notice, secondly, not only do we see the inconvenience of Peter, we see the incertitude of Peter. Notice, Peter is an uncertain man in this situation. In Luke 5, and verse 5, he says, And Simon, the Bible says, And Simon answering said unto him, Jesus said, You've, you've thrust out a little... From the land, I'd like you to launch out into the deep. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. He says, we've already been fishing all night long. We didn't catch anything. It's not a good day for fishing. I want you to remember something, and I want to remind you of something. You're there in Luke. Go back one book to the book of Mark, if you would, Mark chapter 6. And let me just remind you of this, that Peter was a professional fisherman. He was not out there on a Saturday morning, you know, just messing around. This is what he does for a living. He's got a business. He has a, an, an, an enterprise, and he's partnering with two other business brothers, James and John. They do this for work. This is how they feed their family. This is how they pay the bills. This is what they do for a living. They are experts. They are professional fishermen. Peter was a fisherman by trade. Jesus though he's God in the flesh, and we understand that, by human standards, was a carpenter by trade. Mark chapter 6 and verse 3, notice what the Bible says. 
Is not this, and we know that Jesus was obviously in full-time ministry. He's not doing carpentry at this time. But this is what he was trained in. Joseph, his stepfather, was a carpenter, and he was obviously trained in this trade. It says, is not this the carpenter, they're referring to Jesus, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph, of Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. So please understand this. Peter <coughs> says, I'm a professional fisherman. You're a carpenter. Don't, don't tell me what to do. I, I know what I'm doing. I've toiled all night long. I went at the right time. I went with the right tools. I put in the work, and we still caught nothing. And now you, carpenter, are going to tell me, fishermen, to launch out into the deep, to catch some fish, I'm here to remind you that there is always a reason by our human logic to doubt God. Have you ever noticed, go, go to Proverbs if you would, Proverbs chapter 3. If you open up your Bible just right in the center, you're more than likely following the book of Psalms. Right after Psalms you have Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3. Have you ever noticed that God asks us to do things that are counterintuitive? It's called faith. He's trying to get us to exercise faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. He's, he's causing us, he's wanting us to do things that don't make sense. They don't make logical sense. And there's always a human, reasonable, logical reason why to not do whatever it is that God's asking you to do. But we should remember that God is the expert. Proverbs 3 and verse 5, the Bible says, trust in the Lord. And that's what it comes down to. Why do we not do what God asks us to do? Here's why. Because we lack faith. Because we don't trust. That's what faith means. It means to trust, to put your trust in something. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Here's the problem. And lean not unto thine own understanding. See, this doesn't make sense to me. When I do the math, it doesn't make sense. When I look at the facts, it doesn't make sense. When I look at it logically, it doesn't make sense. When I write a list, I know, God, you're asking me to do this, but when I write a list of the pros and cons, it doesn't make sense. And here's what the Bible says. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. We see the incertitude of Peter. He has a reason to doubt he says, look, I know what I'm doing, and we've been doing it. It's not a good day. I've already been toiling. Our nets are already half washed. He says, we're washing the net. Do you understand that if we launch out of the deep and we put the nets in the water, we're going to have to wash them again. We've already washed them. We've already done the work. You already inconvenienced us enough. So I want you to notice that you see the inconvenience of Peter. I want you to notice that you see the incertitude of Peter. I want you to notice thirdly that we see the instruction of Peter. Peter's not happy about what he's being asked to do, but he does make one good statement. Now, he doesn't follow through how he should, and I'm going to show you that to you in a minute. But he makes a good statement. He says this, notice verse 5. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. And then he makes this statement. I love it. In fact, I would encourage you to underline it in your Bible. He says, Nevertheless, at thy word. Amen. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. If you would, go with me to the book of 2 Peter. 2 Peter, chapter number 1. If you start backwards from the book of Revelation, you have Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, 2nd Peter. 2 Peter chapter number 2. I'm going to make a few statements now and later on in the sermon. And I understand that they're repetitive. And I get that. They're statements that I've made and I've been making and I'm going to continue to make. And sometimes I think people might think, Pastor, you know, you, you, you repeat yourself a lot. But I want to remind you that my goal is not to preach to be heard. My goal is to preach to be repeated that you might repeat these things to yourself and that you might repeat these things to others. I was uh, blessed yesterday at our soul winning meeting, Brother 
Matt preached and he, he, he said this, this phrase, he said that God is the goal. And it's a phrase that I've been saying, and I'm glad, I'm glad to hear him say. You say, why aren't you upset he's stealing our material? No, well, I'm, I'm preaching to be repeated. And by the way, I stole it from somebody too. <laughs> There's no new thing under the sun. But I've been telling you this statement and repeating the statement and bringing the statement up over the last several weeks, and it is this, that we ought to build our lives on the Bible. We ought to build our lives on the Bible, and, 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 and here we see an example of it as well, and, and, I, and I want you to notice when Peter says, nevertheless at thy word, that is the right answer, and that is always the right answer, and here's what I'm trying to tell you. When you show up to church like this, and the Word of God is preached, and the Word of God is applied, whatever area it might be in your life, that the Holy Spirit begins to work in your heart, and, you, and God is telling you, you need to do that, or you need to stop doing that. I'm glad you've, you've thrust out a little uh, in, into uh, the water, but now I want you to launch out into the deep and I want you to step out by faith, and I want you to, I know it's going to be inconvenient for you, and I know it's going to be a lot of work for you, and I know it's not, it doesn't make logical sense for you, but I want you to do it. I'm here to tell you, whenever God confronts you that way, the right answer is always this, nevertheless at thy word. If the Bible says it, I believe it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to trust it, because I'm going to build my life on the Bible. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 19 I've shared this verse with you, but I want you to see it again. The Bible says, about the Bible, it says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Talking about the word of God. Praise God for it. Then it says this, Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed. I'm here to tell you, whenever the Bible tells you to do something, I don't care where it is. I don't care if it's your marriage. I don't care if it's in your child rearing. I don't care if it's with your health or your finances. I don't care if it's relationally. I don't, I don't care if it's forgiving someone. I don't care if it's turning the other cheek. I don't care where it is. Whenever the Bible tells you to do something, ye would do well to take heed. It would be smart of you to say, I don't like it. It doesn't make sense. It's going to be inconvenient. Nevertheless, at thy word. Nevertheless, at thy word. Nevertheless, at thy word. Hey, that ought to be the theme of our lives. Why do you do that? Nevertheless, at thy word. Why do you dress that way? Nevertheless, at thy word. Why don't you go there? Nevertheless, at thy word. Amen. We ought to build our lives on the Bible. I know I've been repeating that, but I want it to sink into your mind and your heart. I want that thought to penetrate your, your life and to remind yourself. We had to build our lives on the Bible, and nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net even when it doesn't make sense, because we have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed. But I'd like to take it a step further, go back to Luke chapter 5, and let me say this. Not only should we build our lives on the Bible, but we should build our ministry on the Bible. I want you to look down at verse 1 again. And we're not going to start over the sermon. I just want you to point out something to you that I didn't point out when we were there before. Luke 5 and verse 1. And it came to pass. I love this. I just, want you to, I, I just love this phrase. That as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God. What was the ministry of Christ? What was it built upon? Remember, Jesus had performed miracles. Jesus had cast out devils. Jesus had done all these marvels and these wonders. But yet the Bible tells us that when the people pressed upon him, yes, some of them came because of the feedings. Some of them came because of the miracles. Some of them came because of the casting out devils. But here we're told that people pressed upon him to hear the word of God. To hear the word of God. To hear the word of God preached explained, applied. Go to the book of Isaiah, if you would, Isaiah 55. I'm not sure if you kept your place in Proverbs. I didn't ask you to, but if you go from the center of the Bible, from Psalms or Proverbs, you have Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah. Isaiah 55, do me a favor, when you get to Isaiah, put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. 
But I believe that we should not only build our lives on the Bible. I believe, and something we're trying to do here at Verity Baptist Church, is to build our ministry on the Bible. I hope, and I believe that it can be said, and I hope that it continues to be said of this church, that the people showed up, they came, they pressed in to hear the Word of God. I, I love our church, and I don't know if I should even say this because it might get some of you thinking the wrong way, and, and that's not what I want to do. I, I love the fact that this church is built on one thing, the preaching of the Word of God. Amen. Now, don't misunderstand me. I love the orchestra. I love the music. I, that special that was played today, that was beautiful. And the choir singing and the children's choir and, and all those other things. And, and I appreciate all that and I love all that. And, I, and we're trying to have high standards when it comes to all of those things. And we want to uh, do things with excellence around here. But, I, but the, the truth is this, that people don't show up to this church because of our music ministry. They don't show up to this church because of our beautiful facilities. They don't show up to this church because this is, you know, kind of the, the, the cool church uh, the trendy church, the church that, uh, you know, all the cool kids go to. Not that you're not cool kids. People don't show, you know, I, I mean, and, you know, the, the funny thing to me is that I'm totally oblivious. You know, my wife and I, we show up early and I'm in my office and this that. I don't, you know, uh, we've got people in this church. I mean, we've got professionals and educated and business owners. And I mean, people that are successful and just killing it in, in their secular jobs. And I don't even know. And honestly, I have no clue what any of you drive or, uh, uh, you know, many of you where you live or the, the thing. I just think it's funny, though, that I don't know what people think. When they come out to a church like this and they see all these new cars and beautiful cars and successful people and, 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 and they're pressing in to come into a building next to a methadone clinic. <laughs> For one reason, the Word of God. Amen. They press upon to hear the Word of God. And I believe, look, we don't have to build. We, we don't have to build our ministry on other things. And many churches you go to today, even conservative IFB churches, you show up and it's an hour and 30 minutes of music, an hour and 30 minutes of uh, entertainment and production with a 15 or 20 minute sermon that barely has the Word of God in it. And I'm here to tell you, we don't have to do that. We can build our ministry on the Bible. And I believe that when we preach the Bible and we explain the Bible and we expound the Bible and we apply the Bible, people will show up to hear the Word of God. Amen. They won't show up for me. They won't show up for you. But they'll show up if they know that they can learn the Word of God. Amen. The power is in the Word of God. Isaiah 55 and verse 11, the Bible says this, So shall my word, God says, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I send it. You say, Pastor, why are you preaching Sunday morning, Sunday night, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, uh, through the gospel of Luke? Why are you doing that? Here's what I know about the word of God, that it shall not return void. That it will accomplish what it's supposed to accomplish. That it shall prosper in the thing God says, whereunto I sent it. Amen. I don't know what you need. There's a little bit over 200 people here this morning. And I don't know what all of you need, but I do know this, that what we all need is the Word of God. Amen. And the right answer, the right answer is always, nevertheless, at thy word. Keep your finger there in Isaiah, please. We're going to come back to Isaiah. Go back to Luke chapter 5. We saw the inconvenience of Peter and the incertitude of Peter. We see all the instruction to Peter. I want you to notice, fourthly, the insubordination of Peter. Peter, true to form, makes a right statement and then does the wrong thing. You know, I love Peter because he's always putting his foot in his mouth. He's always doing the wrong thing, always saying the wrong thing. Here he says the right thing, and he does, but he does the wrong thing. Now, I want to point this out to you, and if you've heard me preach on this passage, I'm sure you're familiar with it, but I want you to look at it. Verse 2. Jesus, the Bible says, and saw two ships, referring to Jesus, standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their, I want you to notice this word, nets. If you don't mind writing your Bible, you should put a little line under the S there. Nets, that's plural. They had multiple nets they were washing. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, 
and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now, when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your, I want you to notice what Jesus says, let down your nets. See that S there at the end? That's plural. You got to underline that. The little S there, nets. Let down your nets for a drought. The word drought there is our, our, our modern word draft. It means to draw in or to bring something in, to bring in a great multitude of fish. They're washing their nets. Jesus says, drop, uh, launch out into the deep and let down your nets, plural, for a drought. Verse 5, And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, good, here's the bad part, I will let down the, notice this word, net. You see what's missing there? Jesus says, let down the nets. He says, he says will you thrust out a little? He says, sure thing. Will you go down into the deep? Now you're inconveniencing me. Nevertheless, at thy word. But he says, but I, I'm going to do it my way. You want nets? I'll give you a net. You want me to put on the nets? Well, look, we've already been washing these nets. I don't want to get all these nets dirty again. We're not going to put down the nets. Nevertheless, at thy word. Good job, Peter. I will let down the net. I will only do one. You ask for uh, two. You ask for three. You ask for multiple. I'm willing to do one. Let me tell you, this is how most Christians live their Christian life. I'm not willing to do everything you've asked me to do. I'm not willing to go all in. I'm not willing to go out into the deep. You ask for nets, I'll give you one. Partial obedience is disobedience. And it never works out. Jesus said, launch out into the deep and let down your nets. Peter says, at thy word, I will let down the net. One. Peter said, I'll give you one, Jesus. Uh, that's as far as I'm willing to go, one. Verse 6. And when they had done this, how did it work out for them? They enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their, notice, net, the one, break. You say, why did it break? Because he asked for nets. Because Jesus knew what he was doing. Because Jesus knew the type of multitude, the great multitude that was coming. And Jesus said, let me tell you something. You're going to need some nets for what I'm about to do. And he says, well, I'm not willing to do that. I'll let down the net. And Jesus says, go ahead. Your net's going to break. I think it's interesting to me when people come to those of us in ministry. And they'll say, what? What should I do in this situation? They'll say, well, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says you do X, Y, and Z. And they'll say, I'll only do X. I'll say, well, we'll see how that works. How should I raise my children? Well, the Bible teaches that you ought to discipline your children. You ought to disciple your children. You ought to delight in your children. It teaches that you ought to discipline them. And, 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 and you should also disciple them, which means you ought to sit them down and read the Bible and pray with them. And it means that you ought to delight in them and spend time with them and befriend them and love them. And that's how you raise kids for the Lord. And then people say to me, oh, I don't know. Uh, I'm going to discipline them. But I have a whole discipleship thing. I don't, I'm not really into that. And I think, okay, go ahead and let your net break. Or they'll say, I, I like the whole delight thing. I like being their buddy. I like being their friend. But that whole disciplining thing, I'm just a little too lazy. Okay. Go ahead and let your net break. I, I'm, I'm here to tell you that partial obedience is no obedience at all because you need it all. You need to do everything God has told you to do. You need to apply everything in your life. And if you show up and treat church like a buffet, and you say, well, I like this, and I don't like that, and I like this, and I'll take that, but I'm not going to take that. And the pastor said this, and I like that, and I'll do that. But I don't like this part over here. Let me tell you something. Your net will break. It won't work. It'll get destroyed. If Jesus says nets, you, you better just do nets. I know better. You know nothing. I know nothing. Just do what God told you to do. Amen. He says, nevertheless, at thy word, good job, Peter. I will let down thy, the net. No, Peter, no. 
And that's going to break. Notice we see the increase of Peter. Verse 7. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and, notice, filled both the ships so that they began to sink. Notice this big increase that God wanted to give Peter and James and John, but they were ill-prepared because they thought they knew better than God. Because they were unwilling to do exactly what God told them to do. He said, I like this, but I don't like that. I'll take this, but I won't take that. No, no, no. If he says nets, you just better do the nets. Go back to Isaiah, if you would, Isaiah 54. This is the kind of story you, you tell. You know, fishermen like to tell stories, and fishermen are notorious for exaggerating their stories. They tell you about a fish they caught, and every year the fish gets bigger and bigger and bigger. This is the kind of fisherman story that people would probably think Peter and James and John were lying about. Let me tell you about this one time. We're out fishing, and the net broke, and we had two ships, and the ships began to sink. But this was a real story. Jesus gave him the biggest catch ever. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus wants to give us a big catch too. Isaiah 54 and verse 2 says about the house of God, it says, enlarge the place of thy tent and let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitation. Spare not, lengthen thy courts and strengthen thy stakes. He's talking about having a bigger place to meet and, and having a bigger net to reach people. Why? Because God wants to give us a great catch as well. 2 Corinthians 10, you have to turn there. Verse 16 says, to preach the gospel in the regions beyond. We saw that God gave an increase to Peter. Keep your finger right there in Isaiah. We're going to come back to it. Go back to Luke chapter 5. We saw the inconvenience of Peter, the incertitude of Peter, the instruction of Peter, the insubordination of Peter, the increase of Peter. I want you to notice the inadequacy of Peter. Jesus says, let down the nets. Peter says, I'm the expert here, but I respect you. At thy word, I'll let down a net. As a result, the net breaks. They call their friends, fill the ship with fish. The ships begin to sink. And Peter realizes something. That he's not the expert. Oftentimes in our lives, we need the nets to break and the fish and the, and the ships need to start sinking before we start realizing that we don't know as much as we think we know. When Simon Peter saw it, verse 8, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And he was astonished. The word astonished means surprised or amazed. And all that were with him at the draft of the fishes which they had taken. Peter became very aware of his own inadequacy. Go back to Isaiah, if you would, Isaiah chapter 6. I've been talking to you about being repetitive. Here's another repetitive thing I'll say to you today. We need to have a high view, a high view of God. You know what Peter, Peter got? He, at the beginning of the story, he had a low view of Jesus. I, and what I mean by that is he respected Jesus, he loved Jesus, but he didn't really understand that Jesus knew more than he did. In fact, when it came to fishing, Peter thought that he was the expert and that Jesus was simply a carpenter and he was just kind of, you know, just doing what Jesus asked just to show him that, okay, I'll play your little game and I'll do what you've asked me to do. But now at the end, Peter has gotten a high view of Jesus, a realization that he's not dealing with a man, he's dealing with God. He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man. You're holy. You know what you and I need is a high view of God. I've showed you this passage before, but I, I want to show it to you again because I want you to repeat it and I want it, you to live it. Isaiah 6 and verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, this is, this is Isaiah speaking. It's interesting to me that Isaiah connects this, what he's about to experience here is connected in his mind with the year that King Uzziah died. Uzziah was not a bad king. 
And, and it, it might be that the king's death had brought some instability, some insecurity, some questions as to what was going to happen. And it's interesting to me that in the year that King Isaiah died, Isaiah says, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. Let me remind you that no matter who sits in the White House, no matter who sits in power, that the Lord is always in control. He said, I'm not sure what's going on in politics the year that King Uzziah died. I'm not sure what was going to happen there, but I can tell you this, that I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. And he says these words, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And above it stood the seraphims, each had six wings, the twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. I'm here to tell you that you and I need to develop, and we need to understand that the Bible teaches a high view of God, that he is high, holy, and lifted up. And when we understand and when we have a high view of God, we will develop a humble view of ourselves. Verse 5, Isaiah says, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the king. He said, King Isaiah died, but I have seen the king. The real king, the king of kings, the Lord of hosts. Peter got a good view at Jesus and understood who Jesus was, and he fell down at Jesus' knees, and he said, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. And I'm here to tell you, when you get a high view of God, you say, what's wrong with the churches in America today? I think the biggest problem that they have is that they don't have a high view of God. Listen to me. They wouldn't show up in flip-flops and skinny jeans if they got a high view of God. They wouldn't be doing the messes they're doing and worshiping the way they're worshiping and bringing the world and, 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 and the rock music and all that garbage into the house of God if they got a high view of God. They saw God high, holy, and lifted up. And you and I wouldn't be doing the stuff we're doing. We wouldn't be cutting out on soul winning and cutting out on church services and skipping out Bible reading. And We wouldn't be doing the things that we, we were doing if we had a high view of God. You know what our problem is? We don't have a high view of God. Peter didn't have a high view of God. And because he didn't have a high view of God, he says, I'll let down a net. Once he figured out who Jesus was, he saw his own inadequacy. Developing a high view of God produces a humble view of self. Let me give you the last one. Go back to Luke chapter 5. We saw the inconvenience of Peter, the incertitude of Peter, the instruction to Peter, the insubordination of Peter, the increase of Peter, the inadequacy of Peter. Let me give you the last one, number 7. We see the involvement of Peter. Look at verse 10. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. They were all amazed. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. Jesus says, I didn't do all this to tell you how to be a better fisherman. I I did all this to show you that I know what to do when it comes to uh, fishing fish more than you, Mr. Professional, knows about fishing fish. And now that you know that I'm the expert, now I'm going to get you on my agenda, and from henceforth, we're going to catch men. I want you to notice verse 11. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. It's interesting to me. This is probably the greatest catch they ever had. They made the most money they've ever made. And on that day, they forsook all and followed him. Notice that Jesus involved them in ministry. He involved them in the ministry of reconciliation. He said, you're done catching fish. You're going to catch men now. Go to Matthew chapter 4, if you would. Matthew 4. Let me just say this. God wanted to involve Peter and James and John. Jesus is bringing his group of disciples together. 
Next Sunday morning, we're going to see when Jesus calls Levi or Matthew, one of the disciples. But as much as Jesus wants to involve Peter and James and John and Matthew, I'm here to tell you that Jesus wants to involve you. And he wants to involve me. I'm thankful yesterday morning, and I hope you, I'm not boasting or bragging about this, I'm just rejoicing with you. I'm thankful that yesterday morning, for our Saturday morning soul winning time, soul winning rally, we had 100 soul winners show up yesterday. 100 soul winners showed up. 100 people from our church showed up. We have 202 people in church this morning. 100 of you showed up yesterday to go out, knock doors, preach the gospel, catch men. Now let me just say this, and I'm not boasting, I'm not bragging. I hope you understand that because pride goes before destruction. Some of you, this church is the only church you've ever known, and I'm not trying to boast or brag, but I want you to understand that 100 soul winners showing up on a Saturday morning is not a normal thing. It's, God is doing something special here. God is working amongst us. But I'm also here to tell you that 100 is not enough. God wants us all involved. Would to God that one day it would be said of Verity Baptist Church that 200, I'm not talking about a, 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 a Red Hot Preaching Conference. I'm talking about just a regular Saturday morning in the middle of January. 100 soul winners show up. Hey, what the God that one day, just on a regular Saturday morning, 200 soul winners showed up? What, what, what if one day 500 soul winners showed up? What if one day 750 soul winners showed up? I'm not talking about a church living. What if one day 1,000 soul winners showed up on a regular Saturday here at Verity Baptist Church, a soul winning army to go out and reach people with the gospel of Christ? Amen. God wants to involve you. Matthew 4.19, the Bible says this, And he saith unto them, Follow me, Jesus says, and I will make you fishers of men. See, here's the truth. And I'm not mad at you. I'm thankful for you. I'm also not Jesus, and I'm not your master. But some of you are sitting on the shore. You're just on the shore there. Hearing the preaching. Involved in the service. You need to take the step to be like Peter. To thrust out a little from the land. To get involved just a little bit. Just let him use you a little bit. Just let him inconvenience you a little bit. Some of you are Peter. You've thrusted out from the land. You're out just a little bit, being used just a little bit. And you need to launch out into the deep. Allow God to use you. Allow God to have his will in your life. And I'm just here to say that I believe that God wants to use this church to launch out into the deep. To bring in a great catch, a great harvest for him. But we can't do it without you. So you know what Jesus needed? He needed Peter. He needed James. He needed John. He needed Matthew. He needed help. He needed some people to get involved. And you know what we need here? Is we need you to get involved. If you're on the shore, thrust out a little, won't you? If you've thrust out a little, launch out into the deep, won't you? Get involved in the ministry of catching men. Help us to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and get involved. Because God wants to use you as much as he wants to use anyone else. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this story. It's one of my favorite stories. A great fishing story with a soul winning application. I pray you'd help us to learn and to apply to our lives. Help us to have the attitude that Peter had when he said, Nevertheless, at thy word, and to apply the things we learn from the Bible. Help us not to have the attitude that Peter had when he said, I will let down a net, when he should have gone full in and let down the nets. I pray, Lord, that for those that are on the shore right now, that you would move in their hearts to thrust out a little from the land. 
And for those that have thrust it out, that you would move in their hearts to launch out into the deep. Lord, I pray for all of us that you would help us to develop a high view of God and an accurate, humble view of self. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.